0: Okay hey welcome back thanks for joining us on a Monday as we continue through Exodus we are uh, in Exodus 8 about halfway through the chapter or so as we continue with this series um, in the series of plagues in the narrative these are all kind of put together um, time condensed as we look at God and the Pharaoh squaring off and how God is punishing the land of Egypt to force Pharaoh to do what he has told him to do. So uh, we'll start here at verse 20. The Lord said to Moses, go early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh. As he goes out to the water, say to him, this says the Lord, let my people go that they may worship me. If you will not let them go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials and your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be filled with swarms of flies. So also the land where they live. But on that day, I will set apart the hand of Goshen where my people live, the land of Goshen where my people live, so that no swarms of flies will be there, that you may know that I am the Lord and I am in this land. Thus I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign shall appear tomorrow. The Lord did so, and a great swarm of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and into his officials' homes and all of Egypt, and the land was ruined because of the flies. The Pharaoh then summoned Moses and Aaron, said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the sacrifice that we offer the Lord our God will be offensive to the Egyptians. If we offer it in the sight of the Egyptians, sacrifices that are offensive, will they not stone us? We will go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord. The Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord in the wilderness, provided you do not go very far away. Pray for me. Then Moses said, as soon as I leave, I will pray to the Lord and the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh and his officials Uh, Verse 30, so Moses went out from Pharaoh, prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his officials and their homes. But the Pharaoh hardened his heart, this time also, and would not let the people go. So it's interesting, Michael, as we move through these plagues, we kind of see a little different spin On these early ones, so the magicians were in place. Then they then they're they're no longer really a part of the story. Here for the first time, we see the idea of a separation of something that happens to the Egyptians, but doesn't happen to the Israelites, and it comes in the form of flies—just a massive swarm of flies. Pharaoh again, we've seen this pattern. Says yes, I agree. There's some haggling over how far the people will get to go, but he ultimately says, "I will let you go." Moses prays, the flies, the plague stops, and at that point, this time it tells us Pharaoh hardened his heart. Um, That language changes a little bit throughout the story, but in this instance, Pharaoh hardens his heart, and this time also, he would not let the people go. So it's, it's good storytelling, I think, that in the in the repetition of a general pattern, there are these different differences in detail that kind of keep the story interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it's great storytelling also by the way that it shapes and moves the story to highlight uh, different aspects. And one of those aspects highlighted, I think, comes right here as we look at verse 29, the very bottom of the screen here, Um Only do not let Pharaoh, this is Moses speaking, deal falsely by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord, which is a way that the text is telling us, hey, we've we've seen you play this game where you let us do a thing, and then you don't actually let us go do that thing. And here, uh, we, the reader, are led into that this is known— we're actually calling you on it, and we're calling you to not do it. And I think it only intensifies, Clint, that moment where Pharaoh is once again going to renege on that offering. He's he's not going to be a man of his word. And so here we begin to see, I think we've said this numerous times, Clint, how this story is about this conflict between God and Pharaoh. Up. Uh, We've begun to see Pharaoh now consistently, and it's only intensifying, to be the one who's dishonest, uh, to be the one who is cutthroat and will win at whatever uh, terms he can, at whatever he has to do, he's going to do it. So he gets Moses to commit to make that prayer, and then he hardens his own heart. That, that language is supposed to make it clear to us that Pharaoh— has never confessed. He, he can't even really be recalcitrant because he he never got to the level of uh, of having any grief or any form of real repentance in the face of God. That this is all for show.
0: Yeah, there. This phrase "hardened heart" is really interesting because there are times it comes across as stubbornness. There are times it comes across as a kind of willfulness that he he just won't give in no matter how much the pressure. There are other moments we'll see in a story or two uh, that there are times the text says the Lord hardened his heart uh, as if it has something to do with God's movement or what God has done, either a reaction to it or even insinuates in a couple of places that God causes it. But whatever – the exact nuances we're supposed to get from that, the thrust of it, the main point is that Pharaoh is unwilling to concede to the power of God, that Pharaoh stands increasingly aware of who God is and what God is capable of, and yet will not bow the knee. That that Pharaoh trusts in his own power, his own status, or that Pharaoh just doesn't care and isn't going to admit that he's lost, whatever the path is that takes him there, Pharaoh stands opposed to God and refuses to acknowledge or humble himself. And not only Pharaoh, but his people suffer because of it. And clearly, he bears, whatever we make of this phrase, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, which shows up not as often as as you might think, but it, it is in the story. Um, the burden of blame here is on the Pharaoh himself. I mean, I, obviously, a book, a sacred book of Israel, is not a fan of this Pharaoh, but I, I think, you know, it's clear the way this story is told that he deserves uh, blame, I think, for some of what's happening.
1: Yeah, so I think a really interesting detail here, which is new uh, as these plagues progress here, Clint, we actually find here as we get into this talk about where the sacrifice is going to be, because here Pharaoh leads with this idea, do the sacrifice, but do it inside Egypt. And imagine that idea, do it in my control, do it within the place where I am the supreme authority and leader. And the pushback to that is, uh, you know, that the sacrifices that we offer, this is coming from verse 25, are offensive to the Egyptians. Um, So we are going to go a three-day's journey into the wilderness. We'll sacrifice to our God as he commands us. Uh, What's interesting, I think, about that, Clint, is that uh, Pharaoh wants to control the setting. Uh, He wants to control every aspect that he possibly can. And the the pushback is, no, we're going to go into the wilderness, we're going to go into this place where we're we're separate, and uh, it'll be from there that the people will worship God. As the next plague will continue uh, in severity, uh, we're going to begin to see that not only is this split between the people of Israel being saved from the... Uh, negative effect of the plague here, you know, um, they're being sequestered. Uh, As the plagues move on, it will become a serious matter of the protection of the people. And that is, once again, not on Pharaoh's terms. He, He doesn't get to pick where the plague goes and where it doesn't, but clearly God does. And so each step of the story as a narrative shows us how though Pharaoh began the book of Exodus as the one with supreme control, as the text tells it, he's the one ordering uh, these uh, young men killed, right? He's the one who is uh, bringing great burden upon the people. As the story progresses, it's clear uh, that Pharaoh hasn't figured out yet that he's no longer in that position of authority and control, or if he has seen it, He's just stubbornly against uh, being willing to submit to the God of Israel, which will ultimately lead to, you know, that narrative climactic act in which it is literally impossible for him to hold that position anymore.
0: Yeah, and when you read this in the kind of meta narrative of of two gods, and, and I say that of Pharaoh from his perspective or from Egypt's perspective battling, there is a clear sense in which an example is being made of him. I mean, he is, he is being strung along. He is so far beyond the pale here that he has no standing before the true God. And so th- there is a sense in which part of this is uh, just an illustration of how little actual power that he has. Uh, what's interesting before we move on to the next plague, there is this moment where he advises Moses, "Pray for me." And so, you know, again, you want to be very careful not read too much in, but you you kind of get a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde here here in Pharaoh. There are moments where he seems genuinely aware of what's happening and his role in it, but in the long run, when it comes down to it, some by the work of God and some by the work of his own personality, he he he's unwilling and unable to give in. So that leads us then, as we open chapter 9, the Lord says to Moses, go Pharaoh, tell him, let my people go. If you refuse, the hand of the Lord will strike a deadly pestilence upon your livestock, In the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So this happens, and then I'll go down a few verses. Uh, On the next day, the Lord did so, and all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but of the Israelites, not one died. Pharaoh inquired, found that not one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of the Pharaoh, (coughs) excuse me, the heart of the Pharaoh was hardened, and he would not let the people go. So a, a very this a condensed this and the next plague are told in fairly short style. But here we have a complete destruction of not only the livestock, the economy, the food source. Um, this is uh, destructive at the very heart of Egypt as a nation. And Pharaoh, uh, indeed he goes to examine. And he finds out that the Israelites have been spared and have not been affected by this plague at all. And yet, as we predict, as we come to see time and time again, the heart of the Pharaoh is again hardened, and he does not let the people go.
1: I think it's maybe lost on us a little bit, so I want to make sure that we slow down enough to see this here, our Clint. You're exactly right when you say that this strikes at the heart of Egypt. Just look at this list here. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. The camels are used as a instrument of distribution. Uh, trading happens because of their ability to go over long distances. Uh, horses are a particularly potent military force uh, when paired with a chariot. Um, in fact, that's one of the great dangers to the people of Israel as they are delivered out of Egypt in the first place. Um, and so what we may see here as a list of nice things to have, I, I think actually represents the, the core industry, the core uh, uh, military, the, the, the core sort of basic functioning uh, of a great and mighty empire is now for the first time being struck. It, one could make a point, Clint, that the the water being turned to blood, um, they were able to find water, right? Uh, flies and gnats, nobody <laughs> likes those, and it was clearly disruptive. Uh, frogs is a problem. But as as these progress, we now come to a point, the first plague, where death is intrinsic to the plague itself. and And it strikes at this sort of economic privilege this power represented here in the egyptian empire and what happens here is in some ways a foreshadowing of what we know will happen later uh, as as life um, is going to that the circle of life that is claimed is going to actually grow far outside of it but how could we miss at the end of the fifth plague here clint here we're told The heart of Pharaoh was hardened. So here, the text does not explicitly say that he hardened his own heart, but rather his heart was hardened again. And I I can't help but think if we're going to continue on through these parables, we have to, on some level, recognize the intended mystery that's happening here. As someone who, by by forces both under the control and not under their control, they they have set themselves against the God of Israel— and and now they continue to be trapped in this cycle, much like that undertow at the bottom of a waterfall. They're just trapped. And and he just com- continues to spin around. And the the text doesn't even mention anymore, Clint, the idea that he has advisors or those right. magicians. I mean, now it is Pharaoh and it is God. And those are the two characters. I mean, you've got Moses coming in to, to make these statements. But I mean, those are the two characters acting in the story.
0: Right. and And that will... We'll get a we'll get a brief um, reappearance of some of those characters in in the next plague, which is interesting. But uh, I think I, I mean I think you're right, Michael. This story intends for us to understand that you, you know there are two primary characters in the ring. There are some supporting cast, but this is this is ultimately a battle between. The God of the Israelites, the Creator of the Universe, and the power of the Empire, the the ruler of Egypt who has um, taken upon himself to do harm to Israel and is answering for it and and must answer for it before God. So uh, we will continue on with this tomorrow as we continue to look at some of what happens in this in this contest, in this story. Hope you can be with us. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for spending time with us, friends.